We're closing up a series. We've been working our way through Romans chapter 7. And as we've looked through Romans chapter 7, Paul has been telling us about the war that raged within him because of his shocking honesty. We have the answer to two questions. What's my problem? And what can I do about it? Relative to what's my problem, what we've heard Paul say, his problem is my desires are irreconcilable. In Romans 7, this is what Paul said about his spiritual condition. He said, what I want to do, I do not do. He said, what I hate, I do. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I do not do the good I want to do. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. As we've said, Paul puts these words in our mouths. If this was his situation, it's our situation as well. We might not be as aware of it as he was, but that might not be because we are more spiritual than he was. Perhaps he he valued the law more than we do. And so because he did, it created greater a greater intensity of inner conflict with him. But if it's his situation, it's our situation as well. And as we've said, the thing that's very strange about this is that he doesn't blame anybody. And usually when, if you would make statements like this, we would blame somebody. I, what I want to do, I do not do because I am unspiritual, because I'm lazy. But Paul doesn't blame anyone. He blames his frustrated desires on his spiritual condition. And when he talks about what a spiritual condition is, his finding is surprising. What he says is that sin is living within him. This is what he writes. I do not understand what I do, but what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Usually when we think of sin, we think of sins. We think of acts that are sinful acts. Paul doesn't talk about sins here as the problem. He talks about sin as the problem. You might see it as sin with a capital S, as a power or influence, not an act. And what he says about sin, sin is living in him as a power. And this sin isn't living in me, Paul would say, because I do bad things, think bad things, or want bad things. I want bad things, do bad things, and think bad things because sin is living in me. Because sin is living in me, I deal with different desires. I want to do this, and I want to do that, and this and that don't line up. This leads Paul to cry out to God. As our spokesperson, he says, I am weary of the war within. Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And as we've talked about it, wretched when he says the things he says, it might seem like wretched is something that's bad, miserable. But really, it's not. It's it's more an observation than a condemnation. It's about being, well, what it means is distressed, afflicted with troubles. 
Again, it's an observation, not a condemnation. What Paul is saying, I am weary of this war within. I'm pulled in this direction. I'm pulled in that direction. I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I want to do. I feel the struggle and the war within made him weary. He cries out to God. And when he cries out to God, this is the response he gets. What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me? From this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature of the flesh, a slave to the law of sin. This is the most surpri the surprising part of this whole passage. He calls out to God, and God answers him. And Paul says, thanks be to God. But what he says, he still obeys two laws. He still obeys God's law and sin's law. You would imagine that the rescue, what God would do, would allow him just to serve one law. But that's not what we find. He calls out to God and God answers. But not only does he serve two laws, he is still a slave to two masters. He still is enslaved to God and enslaved to sin. The most surprising part of this passage comes because of what Paul says here. The resolution God provides doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't remove the tension. It doesn't mean he just serves one law. It doesn't mean he just serves one master. And the conclusion is that um, God's solution leaves the tension in place. We're going to talk about things, we, and we have talked about things we can do to deal with the war within, but one thing we're not going to do with the war within, we're not going to eliminate it. That's what Paul found. God's solution doesn't allow us to eliminate the war within. It allows us to endure it. I'm going to say that again, because it's really important to know what's going to happen when we practice the solution. If we imagine that in practicing the solution, it will remove the war within and the tension, we're going to be in for a surprise because it isn't. The tension is something that we're going to have to deal with. Or I need to live with the war within. When he talks about what's my problem, here's the problem he points out. My desires are irreconcilable. Sin as a power is living in me. I am weary of the war within. And I need to live with the war within. Again, before we consider the solution, we have to come to grips with the fact that God's solution to the war does not allow us to eliminate it. So what can we do about it? And that's what we're going to look at. Uh, what can we do about it? Um, we have to answer a couple of questions as we think of the kind of life God wants us to live. So we're going to have to, we're stuck with dealing with the war within, but what does God want us to be like? What does he want us to live like? A um, couple of questions. What kind of life does God want us to live? It's not a life free of the tension of the war within. 
That's not something he's going to do. But what kind of life does God want us to live? And so that's the what question. And then with every what, there's a how. When we learn what kind of life God wants us to live, then the question becomes, how can we live that life? What kind of life does God want us to live? It's not a life free of tension. Or he would have removed the war within. It's not a life free of tension. What kind of life does God want us to live? Apparently, it's not a life where we do what we want to do. Apparently, it's not a life where we can have what we want to have. It's not a life where we can think what we want to think. It's not a life where we can feel what we want to feel. It's not a life that is free of tension. We're not going to do that. Again, why that's important is when we experience tension or frustration, we blame somebody. It's my fault. It's their fault. It's the government's fault. It's the church's fault. And it's really no one's fault. Of course, people do wrong things, but those wrong things, we're going to deal with tension whether people do wrong things or not. It's something that we're going to have to deal with inside. Um, Paul talks about what kind of life God wants us to live. Here's what he says. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. When God talks about the kind of life he wants us to live, it's, it's a life of love. No question. The struggles that you've been through, the tensions that you've experienced, do they decrease your ability to love others or increase it? The pain that you've been through, the struggles that you have experienced and are experiencing, do those struggles inhibit your ability to love others or maximize it? What I've experienced, people who love deeply are people who have been hurt deeply. They've experienced pain. And one of the things that God wants us to do is love, love each other. And for that reason, he doesn't eliminate the war within. What Paul says in Galatians, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. What kind of life does God want us to live? It's pretty straightforward. He wants us to love others um, this answers the what question. But a what without a how is no good. What God wants us to do is to love one another. He wants us to live with the world within, and he wants us to live a life of love. How in the world do we do that? If you tell somebody what to do, and you don't tell them how to do it, it really doesn't help. In fact, it hurts. Because there's a standard, but you can't get there. Fortunately, fortunately, Paul is very clear with the not only the what question, but he's really clear with the how question. How can we express faith through love? Paul provides the answer is what he says. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbors yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. He says, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The answer to the question how is found, whether it be how can we live the life God wants to live? How can we live with the world within? The answer is the same. 
It's to live by the spirit that addresses the how question. There is a um, an article in your worship folder. I'm going to read it. And if you want to read it along with me, it's from the Race for Grace, which is a commentary run on Galatians. Um, um, starts with this question. Why can't we do what we want? Paul writes, so I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature of flesh. For the sinful nature of flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature of flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. This passage is a lot like Romans 7. It goes on, our spirit influences us to gratify divine desires. Our sinful nature, literally flesh, influences us to gratify human desires. We're like the scarecrow in the Wizard of Oz, with some desires that point this way and other desires that point that way. Our desires are in conflict with each other. We are at war within ourselves. We experience this internal conflict daily, but we don't recognize it for what it is. We tell ourselves, if, I, if only I could do what I want, I'd be at peace. Or we think, if only he or she would do what I want, I'd be at peace. The reality is that there is a war of want that rages within each one of us. This means that you cannot really do not what you do what you do not want because you want to do two different things. If you gratify the desires of your spirit, the desires of your flesh are frustrated. If you gratify the desires of your flesh, the desires of your spirit are frustrated. When we fail to make room for internal conflict, we inevitably assign blame. Some of us point accusing fingers at ourselves. Others of us blame those around us. When we fail to recognize the root problem, we hold others or ourselves responsible for our lack of peace. The reality of war within also explains why geographical cures don't, usually don't work. We imagine that a change of scenery or a different group of friends will solve our problems. The problem is this, when we embark from the plane or step out of the car, the source of our conflict came along for the ride. As the saying goes, we have met the enemy, and he is us. What are we to do? There's only one way to effectively manage this conflict. If we live by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There are lots of different ideas of what it means to live by the Spirit. Some people identify the Holy Spirit with a special prayer language. Others link the spirit with supernatural experiences or subjective impressions. What was Paul thinking when he told us to live by the spirit? That's a really good question, isn't it? It's the only solution. Live by the spirit and you will not gratify. What did Paul mean when he talked about it? Read on. He tells us, but if you were led by the spirit, you are not under law. When we live under law, obedience is driven by fear. 
we attempt to conform our behavior to God's standard in order to escape his punishment and condemnation. When this is our motivation, the war within escalates. We become more judgmental, less gentle, less Christ-like. Conflict increases and peace decreases. When we are led by the Spirit, obedience is driven by trust, not fear. We relate to God as a son or daughter, relates to a father. When this is our motivation, the war within subsides. We become less gentle, less judgmental, excuse me, more gentle, more Christ-like. Conflict decreases and peace increases. Living with the tension of conflicting eternal desires is a normal part of the Christian life. Not until our immortal spirits are housed in immortal bodies on the far side of the grave with this con- will this conflict cease. God doesn't condemn us for experiencing this e- internal conflict. In fact, he came to earth in the person of his son in order to experience it personally. The solution is to live by the Spirit. This allows us to live with the war within, and it allows us to live a life of love. Um, it says in that verse, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. God requires that we express our faith through love. He desires that we express our faith through love. So, Love without faith doesn't work, and faith without love doesn't work. Faithless love doesn't work. The love that we evidence has to be rooted in faith. But loveless faith doesn't work either. You can have faith, but if it doesn't evidence itself in love, that doesn't work. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. What does God want from us? The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. Um, the faith that promotes love is new covenant faith. Um, to live by the Spirit is to live in the light of the new covenant. When our faith is in the new covenant, our ability to love increases. When our faith is in the old covenant, our ability to love decreases. This is what Paul witnessed in Galatia. When, God, when Paul went to Galatia, it is a city in modern-day Turkey. He shared the gospel. People believed it, that they were loved unconditionally because Christ died on the cross. And this place exploded. They loved one another. They were joyful. They loved Paul. They loved one another. Um, they believed that God loved them unconditionally as their confidence. As their confidence in connecting with God increased, their love in connecting with one another increased. Love this way evidenced itself in love this way. When Paul left to proclaim the good news elsewhere, other Bible teachers arrived, and they taught the Galatians something different. They proclaimed a different gospel which placed conditions on God's love. The impact of believing this not-so-good news in this place was devastating what happened to this community of believers. Um, The Galatian Christians began biting and devouring one another 
and we're in danger of being destroyed by each other. You know what happens when we are under the under the illusion that God blesses our obedience and curses our disobedience? We become judgmental. We become judgmental of ourselves, and we become judgmental of others. We blame ourselves, and we blame others. That's what happened in Galatia. They weren't blaming anybody. They were experiencing love from God and love for one another. Until this, you can make God love you more. And so they began to focus not on belief, but behavior, and they began to compare themselves with one another. And gradually, rather than praying for one another, they began praying on one another. They began to bite, devour one another. Um, got a question. Imagine that you were tasked with writing a letter to this church. Things at this church are really ugly. It's like Church of the Living Dead. They're biting and devouring each other. What would you write to these people? What command would you give them? This is the problem Paul confronted in dealing with the Christians in Galatia. Here are the first three commands that he writes in his letter. And these are the first commands. First command comes in chapter 3. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. Second command, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Third command, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, rather serve one another in love. You know what he does? This place is falling apart, and he doesn't address their behavior. He doesn't address their behavior until chapter 5. You know what he addresses their belief? He says, understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. See, they forgot. They thought, they learned in the beginning that, that through faith they were accepted by God. But when this other Bible teaching came, they thought they could make God love them even more, because that's what these people would have been taught. God loves you if you ask Christ in your life, but he'll love you even more if you, and then they they added Christian devotion things, give more, serve more. And they then, as that happened, their, their joy and their obedience um, dissipated. Um, we might have expected Paul to lead off, if we, if we thought about what we would write, to lead off with a command to love one another and then follow it, follow it up with stirring stories of people who loved other people. You know, we might have thought he would do that. Or we might have expected him to use a Jesus died for you, shame on you for being selfish approach um, to motivate less selfish behavior, but he steers away from both these approaches. He knew that lack of love was the fruit of the problem. Not the root of the problem. Lack of love was the fruit of the problem, not the root of it. Paul understood that the corrosive nature of their relationships was merely a symptom of a deeper spiritual disease. Their confidence in God's love fueled their love for one another. When they lost sight of God's unconditional love, their ability to love one another evaporated. The fruit of the problem was a lack of love. The root of the problem was a lack of faith. A lack of faith in God's love. Once the Galatians reverted back to relating to God as master rather than as father, the power to love one another disappeared. 
This is why he commands them to understand that believing makes them children of God, not behaving. This is why he commands them to stand firm against those who would pull them back into relating to God as a slave relates to a master. In order to restore the love they had experienced horizontally, Paul understood they would need to restore the liberty they had experienced vertically. Restoring liberty this way would lead to restoring love this way. I'm going to leave you with three words. When it relates to Christian love, here's the divine equation. Liberty, then love. When we are free, when we understand that we are loved unconditionally, that gives us the foundation to begin to learn to love ourselves and others. Liberty, then love. When our liberty is taken away, our ability to love is taken away. That's why Paul writes the commands he does. Command number one, understand those who believe are children of Abraham and children of God. Command two, so say, have a good yes. When you hear the good news, things that reflect the good, the new covenant, a good yes, yes. But a good yes is not going to do it. You're going to have to develop a good no. Stand firm then. Don't let anyone subject you again to a yoke of slavery. When somebody tries to teach you or convince you that God loves you and he will love you even more if that's what that feels like. And at that point, you don't have to be mean. You don't have to be disagreeable. But in your heart, in your spirit, you go, no, I can't afford that because it's liberty, then love. If I fall on the liberty part, the love part's going to fall apart at some point in the future. Understand, understand those who believe are children of Abraham. Stand firm. Don't let anyone subject you to a yoke of slavery. You hear something on the radio, you hear something from a minister, you hear something, and it doesn't line up. You don't have to be mean, you don't have to be, but you do have to say, no, it's not the way it is. That's not what he says, and it's important to say no. Then third, you, my brothers, were called to be free. Called to be free, but what you'll find is as you guard this freedom, it will lead to, you won't spend what you get on yourself. See, that's, what, that's what is hard to understand. When we talk about grace, people say, what about obedience, Mike? What about obedience? I mean, does obedience count? I mean, does our lives count? And it does. It really does. Obedience matters. And you know what the, the obedience that he requires of us? Love. You cannot motivate love by putting the fear of condom. It doesn't work. So this is why liberty, then, does obedience matter? Absolutely it matters. That's why understand that those who believe in children of Abraham, and that's why stand firm and don't let yourself be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And that's why understand that it's, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and serve one another in love. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, thank you for Paul and honesty about the war within. He found himself at odds with himself. But what he was able to do 
his understand that the tension within wasn't going anywhere? I think he stopped blaming himself. He stopped blaming others. He stopped thinking that if he had what he wanted, he'd be happier. He could do what he wanted. He could think what he wanted. What he understood is he was going to deal with tension. And there was nobody to blame. What he understood is that the way to live with the war within, in order to live a life of love, there wasn't there weren't two solutions. There was just one, live by the Spirit. And for Paul, that meant live under the authority of the new covenant. That's the answer. That's what it means to live by the Spirit, to live under the new covenant. And as that happens over time, it doesn't happen quickly. But as we believe what it says, God writes his law in our hearts. That we're his people, that he is helios to our unrighteousnesses, that that happens. We begin to really believe that even if we've sinned, you're still in us and you're still with us. Good's still ahead of us, guaranteed. And little by little, we become less critical of ourselves. Rather than condemn ourselves, what we think and feel, we start to communicate with you about it, share our hearts with you, ask you to help us be who you want us to be. And little by little, we become more gentle with ourselves and more gentle and loving with others. It's not quick. Maybe you'd keep us on the road, though. Thank you for Paul and his teaching. In Jesus' name, amen.